Hey everyone, and welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. Our goal at Renaissance is to expose the heart of our city to the truth and love of Jesus. And if you want to be a part of that, then follow us on social media by searching Renaissance Decatur, or you can connect with us at renaissancedecatur.org. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Let's get started. everyone how are you well yay I have some really great things to uh, share with you today Um, if I could be honest I always like to start with honesty I'm a pastor I feel like that's the best course of action Um, I I feel like the the passage that we're going to work through today in first Corinthians chapter 10 might be challenging for some of us and I say that um, being okay with it too it's like as I was praying this morning I just since the Lord saying words like this, like, um, Jeff, what you're about to say is okay. I want to provoke some people. Now, I want you to hear this. I just sense that the, the Lord in his great love and care for us <laughs> stands with a stick, not to beat us with it, but to just poke at the, the viper's nest of our life sometimes to expose some things that we might be unaware to. Okay? Now, this is God's love for us and care for us. Now, if that at all bothers you, I wore these fancy red shoes to distract you. I'm just saying. So if you just want to focus on my shoes, that's fine by me too. So if you have a Bible with you, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is where we're going to be. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And if you don't have a Bible, I I encourage you to grab one of the Bibles underneath the seat close to you. And you can turn to page 957. I've always been one of those people when I'm watching someone else preach, I like to hold the Bible in my hand or flip through it a little bit. So you're welcome to do that. And if you don't own a Bible, let me tell you, you can take that Bible home with you. You can take that hardback black Bible home. You can write your name in it. You can underline it. You can scribble in it. You can ask questions in it. You can read it. It can bring um, encouragement to you. It could bring conviction to you. It can confuse you. Anyone? (laughs) Two honest people in the room. Yeah, I have to be honest with you. Oftentimes when I'm reading scripture, maybe confuse is the wrong word. Maybe it's misunderstand or not fully understand. I'm trying to, to grasp what's happening in the Bible, but sometimes it's challenging. You admit that, right? And, and here's what I want to, to encourage you in. It's okay if it is hard to understand. You know that, right? It's It's okay that it's difficult. It's okay that we misunderstand. It's okay that it's confusing to us. And here's why I say all of that, because I'm I'm one of those guys who believes that the Bible has been given to us by God. Anyone? That these are the words of God, and he's chosen the stories of these men and women, handpicked, I would argue, by God himself, placed into this book that we've had for thousands of years, been saved for us, so that you and I could one day read them and find hope in them and life in them. And I'm telling you this, if God is the one who orchestrated this, then he's also the one that will help us understand it. Does this make sense to you? Like, it it encourages me that it's difficult. So you know what I do? I lean in to it. I I said in the first service, I'll I'll burn the calories to understand it. I'll pray more. I'll I'll read more. I'll, I'll, I'll seek God more. I'll look in other places to try to get a better understanding. It's hard to understand this some days, but it's worth it, isn't it? 
You know what else is hard? Waxing your car. And some of you did that yesterday. You know what else is hard? Weeding my 17 flower beds. <laughs> right? <laughs> Who puts 17 flower beds? Those things are challenging. And yet, you and I will lean into that stuff all the day long. And then we'll just have this sort of excuse card that we pull out. Well, you know, the Bible's hard to understand. I'm like, come on. Okay, that's love, if it doesn't feel like it. <laughs> that's what that is. That's me encouraging you to just lean into it. And I would even say this. While you're here, just go ahead and spend the calories to pay attention. Or not. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, sleep. Sleep through the whole thing. Just while you're here, just, let's just pay attention and see what God wants to say to us. So um, before we read the passage, I'm going to not read the entirety of the passage together. I'm just going to work through it verse by verse. But I want to pray for us so that we can be helped by God today. Would you, would you pray with me? Bow your heads here. So God, we come before you, uh, not arrogantly, not pridefully. We just come, we submit to you. We say, Lord, we, we have come to learn from you. So God, just speak to us. Your spirit is powerful enough to open our blind eyes, our deaf ears. Your spirit's powerful enough to soften our hearts to receive your truth today. So God, we ask that you just come to us in a way that we can receive you. God, we give you permission to provoke us. We give you permission to poke around in our stuff because you know what's best. God, you're good. You're good all the time. You're a loving father to us. And so we, we want to be trained by you. We want to be led by you today. We bless your holy name and we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Uh, Paul, the writer of the church, sorry, Paul, the writer of the Corinthian letter, we call 1 Corinthians, is writing to a group of people in a city called Corinth. They're brothers and sisters in the Lord. They're Christians. In fact, they're Christians because Paul went through Corinth many years before, preached the truth and love of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus. Many people were born again. Christians were born in the city. A small church was established. And then Paul moves on to other places of the world to do that again. He goes to Philippi, plants a church, Thessalonica plants a church, and all this and that. And the church in Corinth is growing. More people are becoming Christians. Hallelujah, Jesus. But sometime between Paul being there and him leaving, he's caught word from others that have been in Corinth that things are just a little wonky in the church. And so he comes to them by way of this letter to just encourage them, to rebuke them a little bit, and to just call them on some of their stuff. Today, Paul is addressing two major issues in the church of Corinth. And I'll tell you what they are right now. Spoiler alert. If you're taking notes, write these down. The first is this, is Paul thinks that they have a false sense of security in their life. And he thinks they have this because of some Christian activity that they do through the week. But then the rest of the week, they seem to live a completely different way that almost appears anti-Christian. And Paul sees that and he wants to address that in their life. Secondly, they're ignorant. And it's not to say they're stupid. It just means there's something in their life that they do not know that they're doing, and it is, <laughs> it is against God. And so Paul, the loving pastor, comes to them and wants to talk to them about their uh, false security, or shaky security, I would say, and this ignorance on this particular issue. So let's start here in verse 1 and see where Paul would take us. He says, I do not say these things, or I do not want you to be unaware, brothers. 
brothers and sisters. It's sort of gender neutral here. So hear the heart of the pastor here. I don't want you to be unaware of what you're doing because quite frankly, they are unaware. <laughs> they, they don't know. It, it's as if all of the people in Corinth are marching towards a cliff and Paul knows it. And he says, yo, there's a cliff. Now we do this to people that we love, right? If we see someone marching in a direction that's not good for them, right? Dads do this with daughters all the time, right? That boy's nonsense, hang up the phone. That's, all I, that's what I say all the time. Right? We, and we do that because we love them, right? And that's what Paul is doing here. He sees things in their life. He's heard things about them that he, he thinks they're not for sure uh, about, that he thinks they're unaware about. So he says, I do not want you to be unaware of these things. And then he proceeds to tell some stories. Again, stories, I would argue, that have been handpicked by God personally and contained in the Old Testament. And he goes to the Old Testament to tell them something. By way of example, look at this. It says, our fathers, right, our forefathers, were all under the cloud, and they passed through the sea, and all of them were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock, capital R, that followed them, and that rock was Jesus Christ. Okay, what is happening here? What Paul is saying is that there's a story in the Old Testament where their forefathers, the people of Israel, were going from bondage and slavery in Egypt into the promises of God. Now, we call this place the promised land. It's called the promised land because God promised it to Abraham a long time ago. And he says, God's people are going to live here forever. It's going to be wonderful. But they were enslaved in Egypt. At some point, they begin to cry out to God, saying, God, send us to the promised land. You said that we would not be slaves. You said we could have these promises. And so God sends a man, Moses, right, the, the great redeemer, the great deliverer to rescue his people out of Egypt. And as they are traveling from Egypt and slavery into the promises of God, God himself would hang above them in a cloud. What's this look like? I have no idea. Probably, well, anyways, I won't even say. <laughs> anyways, I had a joke. You're welcome. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> anyways, no. So there's a cloud of God, uh, of God above them that they were shadowed under. Like you would know when you stepped out of God because you're no longer under his shadow. So he was over them in the cloud. And when they came to the Red Sea, Moses takes his staff. You've seen the movie. Poof, and the, the sea opens and, and God's people walk through. Now, Paul likens those things to being baptized, to being baptized into Moses, which is a, a type of deliverer that Jesus is going to be for us. So hear me, Paul is saying that the people of Israel left Egypt, were baptized into their deliverer, Moses, through the sea and through the cloud. Moses is a picture of Jesus who is to come. Say amen. And we too baptize ourselves into Jesus for salvation. Jesus has come to rescue us like Moses came to rescue them. And he said God did all of this for all of the people. All of them were baptized into Moses. All of them were rescued by God in his miraculous way. And then he keeps reading here, writing here. He says, and all of them ate spiritual food and all of them drank spiritual drink. What does this mean? It just means while they were in the desert, God provided for them with manna. Who's heard of manna? God would allow manna to come every day and feed his people. And when they were thirsty, they just went up to a rock and turned it on and got some water. Like, when's the last time you drank from a rock? <laughs> this was supernatural. 
And this is what Paul is saying. They had a meal, a supernatural, spiritual meal with God in the desert. The meal that God has provided for them. And this points to another reality in our lives. That there's a meal that Jesus shared with his disciples on the day that he was to be arrested. He breaks bread and says, this is my body broken for you. Here's a cup. This is my blood spilt for you. Paul is saying Moses and his people were baptized and they shared a communion meal together in the desert. Now these things point to the sacraments that we celebrate all the time in the church. Baptism and communion, right? And Paul addresses this for one primary reason. He's talking to the church in Corinth and he says, listen, I think you guys are missing it a little bit. I think you have some false sense of security and I think you're having this false sense of security because of the religious activity that you're doing. You're participating in communion whenever that happens, right? Once a month, once a week, once a day, whatever that was. And you've been baptized. And because of that, you think that it's okay to just go do whatever you want, whenever you want. And Paul's like, listen, I do not want you to be unaware of this for one primary reason. If we continue reading, it says that that the people were let out. All of them were let out. All of them were baptized. All of them ate. All of them drank. But God was angered. Look what it says here in verse 5. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. What does this mean? Three million-ish, right? People in Egypt crying out to God for deliverance. And God rescues them miraculously, baptizing them into their redeemer, Moses, all of that. But only a few of them ever made it to the promises of God. Now, why is this significant? It's because Paul does not want the Corinthian church to be unaware of this. He says, you know the stories of the Old Testament people. You know the stories of God's people who who God blessed miraculously, who God did these amazing things for them. But know this, only a few of them entered into the promises of God. You need to be aware of this. What does this mean to us? What is he saying? He's pointing to this reality. They have a security that they think is just established in the ceremony or the Christian works that they're doing. Communion and baptism. Communion and baptism. And he says there's something else at play here. Only a few of them got into the promises of God, the promised land of God. My question is why? Why only a few? And if there's, if there's something that kept them out, shouldn't we want to know what it is? The answer is yes, please, yes, please. What is it in their life that kept them from fully attaining the promises of God? And can that apply to our lives? I think it does. And Paul continues here in verse six. He says, all of this took place as an example for us. See, what the Israelites did, and he doesn't want for them, is that they desired evil in their hearts. What? See, something inside of them, even though the Christian activity of their life, the baptism, the communion, the communal living, the Christian, the everything, something inside of them was still driving towards evil desires. And that's the thing about evil desires in our hearts. It's like no one knows they're there. Sometimes you don't even know they're there. But you know who does? God does. And he points to that reality in Israel's history. They had evil desires in them. And what are these evil desires? He goes on to tell us what they are. Verse 7, they were idolaters. Some of them were idolaters, as it was written. And he says, the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. 
what? <laughs> Is anyone confused yet? Yes, me too. Except we have a little footnote in my Bible. It says that's a quote from Exodus 32. I went back and read Exodus 32. You're welcome. And I'm going to tell you what happened. This is right after God rescues them out of Egypt. They find themselves at the base of a mountain called Sinai. Moses and his student understudy Joshua go up to the top of the mountain to commune with God. And all the people down here just hang out. And over time, they begin to realize, I don't think Moses is coming back from a, for us, y'all. So they, they do this strange thing. They fashion a golden calf and they begin to worship it. They, they forsook God and his amazing things that he did, fashioned this golden calf and said, okay, you'll be our God now. And by the time Moses and Joshua come down the mountain, it sounded like Lollapalooza at the base of this mountain. And all the young people went, what? And the old people were like, Lolla, what? <laughs> right? It was revelry taking place. And this is a quote from that passage. It says that they were dancing, they rose up to play. It was just debauchery taking place here. They had forsaken their devotion to God and given it to another. You want to know why they didn't get into the promises of God? It's because they had idolatrous hearts. Now, we don't worship graven images in our day, right? We don't do that, right? No one has a golden calf or elephant in, on their mantle at home, do they? I mean, do you? <laughs> like, you're going through all your knickknacks. Well, I do have some precious moments. Is that the same thing? <laughs> I knew those things were evil. <laughs> It's more than that. Idolatry in maybe our context would just be, it'd be something that God would even say is good in our life. We just make it great. It's good, and God would want it for us. We've just placed greatness onto it. And so it becomes ultimate in our life. We have things like that in our lives. The question would be then, if there was this thing in your life that if you lost it today, would you have any reason to keep living tomorrow? If you can think of something, maybe it's your children, maybe it's your job, maybe it's your church. If you have that in your life, ladies and gentlemen, that's an idol to you. And that is enough to keep you out of the promises of God. And Paul, the pastor, says, I want you to be aware of this, is all I'm saying. Cliff, 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 cliff. I need you to be aware of this. Remember the people of Israel, rescued, miraculous, but they did not get in because of idolatry. He keeps writing in the next verse. It says, we must not indulge sexual immorality as some of them did. This is right out of Numbers chapter 25, where it says that the men of Israel whored with the women of Moab. It was just reckless abandoned, debauchery at its finest, if that's a way to say that. It was just craziness. And all of these people were doing that. And God saw that. And God, who is not mocked, judged them for it. He continues to write, 23,000 people fell in a single day when God spoke against them. And Paul says, I do not want you to be unaware of this. Sexual immorality will keep you from the promises of God. I don't even need to tell you about sexual immorality in our world today. Or do I? My youngest daughter, who is here, I won't mention her name, it's Reagan. She, uh, <laughs> no, Reagan was uh, not feeling well yesterday. She's kind of lounging on the couch. At least she told me she wasn't feeling well, maybe because she didn't want to do the dishes. We have yet to determine that, but she's laying on the couch, not doing her chores is what I'm trying to say, and she's watching television. So I sit down next to her, and the, the television show she's watching, I sat in about five minutes of it, and I'm like, this is gross. 
This is gross. I mean, like, I don't know that she intentionally picked it. She's just watching it, right? And I'm like, well, that's done. And it was just a show about promiscuity, a show about sex, a show about, I won't tell you what the name was. It's called New Girl. <laughs> and right now, many of you are going, oh, I like that show. I mean, there's just things that, that Paul saw in the, in the Corinthian church life that he says, there's, you need to be aware of some of these things. It happened to Israel. Keep reading. Next verse. He says, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did. This is out of Numbers chapter 21, I think. God was taking the nation of Israel somewhere and they begin to question whether or not could actually do that. Like, is God, in fact, powerful enough to get us through this mighty nation that stands opposing us? And they begin to test God and question if God can do what he said he was going to do. And God, who is not mocked, was angered at them again. I wonder if we test God in our days. Here's how I know some of us test him. We test him by living a sinful life that no one sees, assuming God isn't paying attention. That's how we test him. We test him by saying, listen, I don't know that God's ever going to deal with this thing in my life. No one else knows about it. It's fine. It's a secret. I'm telling you right now, you're testing the all-knowing one. <laughs> he knows. He sees it all. The next one, it says that they were grumbling against God. Verse 10, don't grumble as some of them did. Now, I did read that. That's out of Numbers 14 or 15. I can't remember. But know this. They weren't just mumbling or murmuring or grumbling against God. They were, they were grumbling against Moses and Aaron. The, the appointed authority over them. So let me ask you this question. Has anybody grumbled over me lately? <laughs> I grumble over me some days. I'm just saying. But we don't want to grumble against the things of God. And he lists these four different things, again, handpicked by God, saved in the annals of Scripture to point to this reality to the Corinthian church. He says, these things happen to them as an example to us, verse 11. And they were written down for our instruction. God, who is good to us, gives us the definition of why that stuff, that, why that stuff happened. So the Corinthian church could be encouraged by it, rebuked by it, poked at by it. And he says, verse 12, and this is the pinnacle of this little paragraph, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he Oh, there's just this false sense of security because of communion and Christian rights and some other things that they think they can live any way they want to. And God is not okay with that. He wasn't okay for Israel. He wasn't okay for the Corinthians. And I have to tell you this, he's not okay for us to live the same way either. And we cannot stand in this boastful place, this place of arrogance and spiritual knowledge and think that Yes, I know Jesus Christ has, I don't mean to belittle this. This is the paramount of our Christian faith. Jesus Christ died on a cross for us, right? Punishment was placed upon him instead of you for your sins. Hallelujah. He died, was buried in a grave, and God raised him from the dead, the first in the resurrection. Yes, and one day through faith in him, we too will be raised from the dead into eternal life. Yay. Hallelujah. I don't know why you guys aren't shouting right now. Too late. Too late. Either you're in or you're not. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> no. Yes, it's so great. And yet we treat it like a token, a chip, a lever 
And when we sin, we go, he forgives. He sin, you sin, you throw the chip on the table. Yeah, but I got to get out of sin-free chip or whatever. Listen to me. We are prostituting the cross of Christ when we do that. It is cheapening what he has made available to us. And it is not his desire for us to live that way. I've asked this question many times in this church before. I'll ask you guys as well. And I want you to be as honest as you want to be inside voices now, please. I don't want to embarrass anyone. But are any of you struggling with sin right now? Or in, I mean, maybe not right now, but are any of you struggling with sin? Or are you just sinning? You hear the difference, right? Are you struggling with it? Like, do you, does, it, does it pain you? Do you call all your buddies for accountability and you pray and read and, and struggle through stuff? Or do you just go, eh, I'm going to do it anyways and cash a chip? Paul warns the Corinthian church. He says, verse 12, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he falls. This next verse is probably one of the greatest verses in all of the Bible. It was my life verse for many years, and when I read it, you will see why. Verse 13, it says, therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands, wait, sorry, <laughs> no temptation has overtaken you that is common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with that temptation, God will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. As I asked you earlier, are you struggling with sin or are you just sinning? Because I'm telling you, God is committed to us. He says, you will be tempted. Did you know Jesus was tempted? Say yes. Jesus was tempted. He did not sin. And I'm telling you, if God wants us to look like Jesus, then he will tempt us in every way possible too. And just like Jesus, we have a way of escape, thank you, God. And the way of escape is him. It's he provides the way of escape. It is not you. It is not white knuckling and all of this stuff. It comes from the reality that God has saved you from a life of sin and wants to lead you into the life of righteousness. You're just forgetting who you are. And by you, I mean me. I started recently saying this about myself, and by recently, I mean in the last two days. <laughs> I mean recently. Because I have sin in my life that I hate. I hate it. And, and some of you will understand this. It's that one sin that just comes back all the time. And sometimes I think of myself as the person who does that thing. I say about myself, I'm just a sinner. Except when I read the Bible, it tells me my identity is altogether something different. Peter would say, I'm a saint. <laughs> I get a cape and everything. I'm a saint. I am righteous. That God looks at me and no longer sees my sin. It says my sin has been cast as far as the east is from the west. And just so you know, when God created everything, boom, and it blew up, the east and the west are continuing to move even as we speak further and further away. What God is saying is our sin will never be seen by him again. See, I am righteous in him. My way of escape is recognizing that for my life. No longer living the life of a sinner. No longer believing that's just who I'm destined to be. But to accept the, the gift of salvation, the freedom from slavery and sin, and then move into that life. The Corinthian church didn't get that. 
They thought because of baptism, because of communion, because of other stuff, that they could continue to live their life any other way. And he says, you guys don't know what you're doing. God is still calling you to a sinless life. Hear me. God is still calling you to a sinless life. That is his desire for us. When Jesus says, I have come to give you life and life to the full, the abundant life, that's what it looks like. But you and I treat sin, some sins, like a pet lion that we feed and cage, and it's fine. It's just, it's, you have a freaking lion in your house, bro. <laughs> no, it's fine. He's caged. It's all good. Everyone knows how this ends, right? We read in the news, so-and-so was eaten by his pet lion. <laughs> how you have, anyways. My point in saying that is God wants to provoke us and to see in that thing in our life. And he wants us desperately to take that lion, that sin out into the open, put a bullet in it, and leave it for dead. He wants us to walk away from that. I promise you, there is no sin in your life you are getting by on. None. God sees it all. He saw it in the Corinthian church. He sees it in the Israel church, if that's the thing. And he sees it in, in our lives as well. And he wants us freed from it. Take heed, he said, lest you fall. Now, I know this. I have applied the blood of Jesus Christ to my life. I am liberated from that. I am free. I have eternity with him. Praise God. But I'm telling you right now, when I continue to sin, even though my relationship with God isn't necessarily at risk, my relationship with my spouse is, Husbands? Anyone? There are some sins that husbands do that really frustrate our wives. This sin will, will uh, wreck the relationship that I have with my children should I not deal with it. I've, I've sinned. This abundant life is available to me, but I continue to treat it like a, a pet line. Okay, and God, in his great love and care, is poking at us. I don't need to know which one, brother. I just need to know there's one. There's something in us that God wants to address in his great love for us. I do not want you, he would say, to be unaware of this. Okay. We good? Should I tell a joke or something? It's called brevity. Take, take a breath. Now Paul turns the corner. I have a few minutes left, and he wants to deal with not this issue of false security, but with this issue of ignorance. That there's something that they're participating in that he wants to address. Now, he started this argument back in chapter 8, and we don't have time to go back into all of that, but just know this. The Corinthian church, the Christians there, were going to the pagan temples, and they were enjoying the cultic sacrifice feasts and meals, and they argued in chapter 8 that it's okay to go to these pagan temples because those pagan gods are really no gods at all. And Paul's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I believe in you. Your theology is sound, whatever. But what you're doing is you're causing other people to to trip up. And we won't go back into all of that stuff, so Paul sort of dismisses that. Well, Paul comes now full circle back to this issue of cultic sacrifice and pagan worship, and he says those gods, in fact, aren't gods, capital G God, because there is one God. Yes and amen? But there is power in those places. There is spiritual authority in those places, and it comes from demons, he would say. And he begins to address that. Let me continue reading here. He says, therefore, my beloved, I want you to flee from all, all idolatry. And I'm speaking to you as sensible people. Like, you guys are intelligent. You guys can figure this out. Judge it for yourselves. Again, not that it's right or wrong, but whether you're going to receive it or not, he says. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, 
We who are many are one body, for we all partake of that one bread. He says, even consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifice participants in the altar. What does all of that mean, right? Confused anyone? He's just saying this. Even the nation of Israel, when they would take sacrifices before the priest to atone for the sin, they would share that food to everyone. And when everyone ate the food, they were participating in the worship of Yahweh, the Old Testament God, Yahweh, who, who blessed them and atoned for their sins. And what he's saying is when you go to the pagan temples and they sacrifice an animal there and you sit at that table, you are participating in worship of whatever God that is. And as I said before, and it's not just a God, it's a demon behind that. There are dark, demonic things at work in our world all the time. Some of us believe that, some of us don't. I'm one to believe that it happens. This is why some of us as parents don't allow our children to play with Ouija boards, right? Anyone? Or read Harry Potter. <laughs> no, it's like, just, you just got to be aware of this stuff. That's all Paul's saying. I, I want you to be aware. See, Paul knows this. There were things in the Old Testament um, that a lot of these pagans would worship, and, and there was great power in some of those things. And he's saying, we know, again, there's only one true God, so the power is coming from some other place outside of who God is. And if I were you, I wouldn't mess with it at all. Just stay away from it. Uh, many years ago, Renaissance had just started, and we had Sunday night only church, and um, it was great. It was wonderful, right? Um, and I was home late one night. Church had just finished. I'm sitting there with my family, and my phone rings, and it's this uh, girl who had just been to Renaissance earlier that night, and she's frantically crying. And she's like, Jeff, you have to come over here right now. I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, we're in this house, and we're, like, playing a Ouija board or whatever. I'm serious. She was, they were invoking dark forces. She, did I mention she was just at Renaissance? <laughs> I know. So... <laughs> Anyways, and she's like, and, and doors in this house started shutting and lights or whatever. Like, oh, we're freaking out. You need to come over here right now. And I said, no, I'm not coming over. <laughs> I said, I said, I'm at home with my kids and this is where I'm staying. You're a moron. You know better than this. And then I said, I said, have you been drinking? Mm-hmm. I'm just telling you what. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, they, kids, right? But they go into this place and they start invoking into demonic places. They have no idea. And then when power showed up, they're freaking out as if I'm their savior. I said, no, no, you guys got to figure this out. And I left them to it. Um, I've never seen her again. <laughs> That's a real story. I don't think I ever saw her again. Anyways, moving on. So... Is it okay to have this kind of fun up here? Is it? I'm loving this. This is so great. This is my job. <laughs> he says, uh, verse 20, I, I'm implying this, that what they sacrifice is sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I, I don't want you to be participants with demons. I don't want you to. It's my desire as a pastor. I don't want you to. And then he goes one step further. He says, I'm going to tell you right now, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You just can't. That's called duplicitous living. That's a double life. You're trying to live a Christian life over here and 
another life over here that's not Christian. Uh, years ago, a guy came to my office and he was just living a, a messy life and he just, I don't know what to do. And he's over here with the Lord some days and over here not with the Lord some days. And I finally just told him, I think you need to just go live in the world, man. I said, you're just making yourself miserable. And you're questioning, why don't you tell him to go live with Jesus, right? That's the question you have. Because he didn't want to. He just wanted me to somehow salve, right, or bandage his broken spirituality. And I just can't do that. I say, here's what you desire. And I know, maybe call this discernment or whatever. I'm like, you don't want Jesus. <laughs> you want to go live in the world. So I'll tell you what, stop making yourself miserable. Just go live in the world for a while. Now, here's what I say that in full trust that God will, can, and will rescue him back to himself at some point. I know that to be true. I'm telling you, Paul says this, you can't drink with demons and with the Lord. You just cannot do it. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Verse 22, two rhetorical questions that he asked the Corinthian church, I'll ask you too. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? You want to provoke him? You want to continue going the way you're going, thinking no one's paying attention? I'm telling you, he knows. He sees. He's aware. I want you to be aware as well. I don't want to provoke the Lord to jealousy. I don't want him to respond to me like he did in the Old Testament. And are we stronger than he is? No. It was rhetorical. No, we don't want those things for our lives. For the Corinthian church, they needed to be made aware of that false sense of security. For some of you in this room, it's just like, I think I'm good. Like I do some, like I'm a decent guy. I church a couple times a month, which is the new norm, just so you know. So if you're here, welcome. You know, I read my Bible occasionally. Every once in a while, I put it on WBGL. I think that's called Christian Radio. And that's okay, right? And so you do some of that stuff, and somehow you think you're just bolstering this lifestyle that allows you to do other stuff. And again, that's a false security that the Lord wants you to be awakened from. Let's not do that anymore. Because I, I promise you that will not lead you to the promises of God. Sin always and only leads to death. Did you know that? Always and only. There's, it's, <laughs> its offspring is death. Always. And so he wants them to be aware of that. Secondly, because of their ignorance about this issue, he just gives them the what for. Don't go over there anymore. You need to stay away from those people down the street. You stop going there. Okay? And this is, he knows them. He's their pastor. And he knows what's happening. So you need to stay away from that. Now, I, I don't have that in your life. I, don't, I can't tell you to stay away from whatever, but I know someone who does. I think some of you know him too. <laughs> His name's Jesus. He knows. He knows. So I want to close today. I want to pray for us, and I'm going to ask God to... Um, I've been saying provoke. Does that sound too harsh? If it does, get over it. And I, I say that lovingly. I mean, like, let the Lord provoke you. Let the Lord address things in you. And so I'm going to have the band come back up, and we're going to pray together. Would you, would you stand, please?
God, I, I just I just pray for this group of people here in this room and in the overflow rooms that you you see them. And God, we stand before you as as people who who need corrected every now and again. We never want to be so boastful and arrogant to believe that we have it all figured out, God. So we're coming underneath you and your lordship and your authority in our lives. So we submit ourselves to you now. As the band comes back and we begin to sing songs declaring how good you are, that salvation is ours to have in Jesus Christ, as as we begin to sing these things and bless your name, I'm asking God that you would that you would point to the things in our life that you want to remove, that you want us to know is wrong, and that you're going to give us the power to overcome them. That there, there is, in fact, no sin that is too big for God to push aside. We just need to let it go. God, I'm asking in Jesus' name that you would come and speak to every person here. We do not want to be people who treat sin lightly. We do not want to prostitute the work of Jesus on the cross and just cash it in whenever we feel shame or guilt. God, we want to live a new life provided by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We have been born again. Paul would say we have become new creatures, no longer bound and motivated by wicked desires. So we need to live in that understanding and revelation that you're pushing us towards righteousness, moving us towards. We just get our identity screwed up. So God, I pray in Jesus' name, every person here would understand that they are saints in the Lord, that they've been washed clean, that they have robes of righteousness have been placed over them. That when you look upon us, you no longer see our sins, but the blood of Jesus washing us white as snow. God, I thank you for all of that. Point to that thing in our life that you're going to help us get rid of, that we might have a testimony that points to your power and your strength, God. Use our voices to to declare your goodness and your mercy. Use our voices to bless your name. May this time be about you, God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We're so excited to see the things that God is doing in our community. And if you're looking for a way to get involved in that, then please go to rendicator.org and make a commitment to being a part of showing the people of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.